Acts chapter 17, 22 through 31. 17, 22 through 31. Let me read verse 16 before I go to 22. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Verse 22, then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let's pray together. <coughs> o Lord, may this passage of Scripture remind us of who you are, creator and Lord of all things, the one in whom we live and have our being. And as Paul leads us through an examination of the idols of the Athenians, may we too come to a knowledge of our own idols, those things that distract us from keeping our eyes on you, trusting in you with all of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. A man went to a meeting or some gathering or some event at church one evening. He had, he had developed a, a real bad habit, a, a struggle, where he consistently would lose his car keys. I know we're moving into a day where we don't have car keys, so this happened a little while ago. He was losing his car keys consistently, so he came up with a way to help himself he decided that from then on he would leave his car keys in the ignition and the door unlocked wherever he was. He figured that the chances of him losing his car keys were greater than the chance of a thief walking by and seeing the car unlocked and the keys in the ignition and stealing the car. His wife thought he was crazy. She let him know and he simply said to her, trust me, trust me. So he's at the church for this evening meeting, and um, he lingers, he talks with people afterwards, and he's the last person to leave. 
And when he gets to the parking lot, his car is no longer there. It is gone. So he calls the police, and when the police arrive, he confesses his new habit to help him not lose his car keys. He confesses that he has left his keys in the ignition, and someone has stolen the car. So the police take the description of the car, and they send out the report, and now the police all over town are looking for the man's stolen car. His first call, his first quick call was to the police. It took him a while before he called his wife, but when he eventually summoned up the courage to call his wife and he explained what had happened, there was a long pause and he was waiting for the words, I told you so, he knew she was going to say it, I told you so, but she didn't say it. Instead she said, honey, I dropped you off at church tonight. (laughs) You didn't drive yourself. The man then said, well, why don't you come pick me up? And she said, I will as soon as I convince this nice police officer that I haven't stolen your car. (laughs) We are a forgetful people. We forget things as we age. It's the normal course of human experience, I see wives nudging their husbands all across this sanctuary. We forget things. But there's one thing that we tend to forget that we must not, and we do so regardless of our age. It's not about getting older and our minds not remembering things the way we once did. We tend to forget a powerful truth that Paul articulates in our passage today. He quotes a a, a poet from the ancient world, but he applies the words of the poet to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the line, in him we live and we move and we have our being. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. I think we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that every moment of our lives is lived within the grace of God. That every accomplishment or every defeat happens under the grace and the provision and the presence of God. Every challenge, every victory, every struggle, and every ordinary moment, there's nothing that is beyond the truth of this phrase. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. And so we come to church to be reminded of these things. I wouldn't advise the habit of putting your car keys in the ignition if you're forgetting those things. But we do need to develop habits, and we're doing one of those right now. And this passage reminds us of many things about the truth of who God is. Verse 24, God is the creator, the one who made the world and everything in it. We need to be reminded of that. The one who is Lord of heaven and earth. The one who does not live in shrines made by human hands, even in a sanctuary as beautiful as ours, one who is here but who is also 
everywhere, we need to be reminded that we can call on God. He is not far from us, not far from each one of us, verse 27 says. And then, of course, to be reminded that in righteousness, God will judge the world, not just to uh, say this person acted faithfully and this person did not, but righteousness in the sense of making things right. And we need to be reminded of the last verse of the passage, verse 31, that through the resurrection of Jesus, God has given us the assurance of, of all of these things. But this morning from our passage, I invite us to turn our attention to that phrase, in Him we live and move and we have our being. And I invite us to rephrase it and form it into a prayer. A prayer that we memorize. A prayer that we pray regularly. In You, O Lord, in You, we live and we move and we have our being. Well, Paul is addressing a crowd that is focused on idols. He's walked around the city in Athens and he's seen all kinds of, of, of idols. Think of the Greek gods of Percy Jackson and this generation, the Greek gods that we've studied in school all along the way. There are statues of gold and silver and, uh, and marble and, and all kinds of statues in in Athens, and Paul sees all of these things, and he's distressed, and he gets an invitation to speak at the Areopagus, where all the philosophers and the citizens gather, and he has noticed that there is an unknown idol, an idol to an unknown God, and he uses that as an entree, a hook to get into uh, the conversation, to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he speaks of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, in one sense, he is calling the people in his audience to turn from their idols and to serve the living God. Now for us, we don't have idols usually made of gold or silver. We don't have statues that we worship, but we are familiar with idols, things that we turn to, that we focus on, that can often distract us from what matters most things that we give our allegiance to, the big three that we often think about in the life of the church, money and power and pleasure. So many of us in our world, even within the church, can be lured into an idol, making an idol of the money that we have, or making an idol of seeking power, or making an idol of seeking pleasurable experiences in whatever form. Throughout history, the world is filled of stories of people who have lived for these particular idols. And of course we must be on guard against these. But my sense is that these are not the idols that most of us wrestle with. Instead, we wrestle with the lure of the idol that says if we just do the right thing, have the right disciplines, have the right thoughts, then we will be able to control our own lives and the lives of those around us. Or we will be able to fix our own lives and the lives of those around us. If we just get everything organized and just right, we will be able to help our organization, whether it's a business or a school or a church, to do everything and to be free from all, uh, all harm, protected and secure. We make an idol of these things. And of course, it is important for us to use the minds that God has given us and to do our best to work as hard as we possibly can to bless those around us and to establish 
uh, healthy organizations. And yet, and yet, we are fallible human beings who sin and fall short of God's glory. And so often we discover, eventually we all discover that as much as we would like to control even our own lives, we cannot do so. But I believe that there is such a lure of an idol to make of that sense of control an idol. I think an idol in our society is that things can happen quickly, that, that we can take shortcuts and arrive at success or well-being or, or health or whatever it is that we're seeking. We make an idol of the quick fix. And God never promises such things. Instead, we hear the words of Scripture in the form of a prayer. In you, we live and we move and we have our being. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you to ponder the truth that it is in God that you live and that you move and that you have your being? What does it mean for us as a congregation to know that we live and we move and we have our being in God? There's one other phrase from the Scripture that really caught my attention. It's verse uh, 25. As if he needed, as though he needed anything, since he, God himself, gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. As if God needed anything. In one sense, God doesn't need us to accomplish the purposes of the gospel and the kingdom in the world. In the other sense, then, it is God who graciously invites us to participate in this work of the gospel, in this work of living out the kingdom in our community. It's so easy to focus on our own work to make of it even an idol that we lose track of this truth that God doesn't need us, but instead invites us and gives us the honor of participating in the work of the gospel in the world. In you we live and move and have our being. It's a prayer, it's a truth that can shape us, that can help us guard against the lure of the idols that seek to distract us, and it's a prayer that over a lifetime can mold and shape us into a life of dependence upon God where we become more and more like Jesus. There was a couple in their 60s, married couple who moved to Pittsburgh. They were in their 60s. And as they were getting to know their new city, they found a, a, a city park with a nice pond and, and they would walk in that pond or in that park around that pond on a regular basis and one day as they were walking along the pond a, a man on a bicycle uh, rode past them very quickly but then abruptly stopped right in front of him and waited for them to reach him where he was and just out of the blue he says to this couple this stranger says to them how long have you been married? 
they were, they were startled, but they wanted to be gracious. So they said, we've been married 33 years. The man on the bicycle said, I knew it. You walk together in perfect step, perfectly synchronized. My wife and I have been married for five years, and we haven't figured it out yet. We're always a microsecond off. And then he drove away, rode away as quickly as he had stopped. And the couple said to themselves, wow, we walk in perfect step. Perfect enough to cause a bicyclist to stop in his tracks and to observe and watch us. And so then they started thinking about how perfectly they walked in step. And they no longer walked perfectly in step. The moment they became conscious of it was the moment they messed it up. So then they said, we're going to forget about what that guy on the bicycle said. We're just going to walk. We're just going to walk. So it is that over time, as we pray the prayer, oh Lord, in you, we live and we move and we have our being. We find a trust in Jesus developing in us that we never knew was possible. We find a a trust in Jesus that just gradually becomes a part of who we are. And we don't have to think about it. It's good to think about it from time to time, but but we don't have to because because we've come to believe that God truly is with us always. And we truly do walk with God. And God walks with us as individuals, as a family, as a church. And we begin to realize that we don't need our idols, whatever they are. The lure of those idols, the the appeal is not as great. And we find that indeed, we can walk in step with Jesus. Why? Not because of anything that we have done. No. We can walk in step with Jesus because we have believed and lived the prayer. In you, O Lord, we live and we move and we have our being. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, some of us today have faced great struggles this week. Some of us have experienced disappointment. Some of us have experienced pain. Help us to turn not to any idol that we might manufacture to help ease the pain. Instead, help us to trust in you. For it is in you that we live and we move and have our being. Some of us have had great success this week. We've achieved something notable, something wonderful has happened, and it is so easy to trust in our own strength and to focus on our own strength and 
so normal in many ways. And yet, Lord, for those of us who have experienced success and achievement this week, we pray that you would remind us that it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. We as a congregation, O God, have been called, you have called us to join you in your work in the world. We believe you have very specific things for us to do for you and for our community and for the world. And yet we're also reminded in this passage that you don't need anything from us. And yet you graciously invite us to join you in your work. And we are humbled. And we are amazed. Help us not to trust in what we can do, but to remember that it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. And yes, Lord, You are not far from each one of us. Help us to seek You, each of us, in our own way. For we know that You desire to walk with each of us closely, intimately, personally. For in You, we live and we move and we have our being. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.